0: The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the
1: scriptures and let them speak. It is my pleasure this afternoon to introduce our guest speaker to all of you. Uh, Glenn Curry was born and raised in Allen Park, Michigan which is a suburb of Detroit, and after graduating from Bob Jones University, he began pastoral ministry as an assistant at InterCity Baptist Church, where he served in the youth ministry at this church for 11 years. And then in 1987, shortly after he graduated from Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, he accepted Maranatha Baptist Church's call to become their senior pastor, also there in Michigan, he served in that role for twenty nine years before transitioning into an assistant pastor role, which he re- which he recently re- retired from after almost thirty five years of pastoral ministry at that church. so I think I'm trying to see where you're at Glenn oh there you are, so you started when you were about five years old i 'm guessing is that right okay I figured so Uh, But Glenn and his wife, Sue, recently moved to Abington, Maryland, um, during the past Christmas season, so just a few months ago. Glenn and Sue have three adult children, Scott, Kristen, and Laura, and they also have eight grandchildren. They moved into this area to be closer to their children and uh, to four of their younger grandchildren. Uh, Laura and her family, one of their adult uh, daughters, and, and her spouse and family live in Cockeysville. And Scott and his family live in Washington, D.C. And a few of his favorite pastimes, or at least uh, they, they were in the past, I don't know if this is still current, but they're uh, watching uh, Michigan football and Detroit Tigers baseball and hanging out with his grandkids We're fine with you still hanging out with the grandkids, but now that you're in Baltimore, you know, we will have to work on some of those teams. But um, I've had the privilege of knowing Glenn for almost three years now. Uh, We got connected back in 2019 as they were making plans to move into the area, and we're seeking to find a healthy, like-minded church uh, to be a part of. Uh, Pastor George and I have enjoyed getting to know Glenn, and uh, we look forward to getting to know him and his wife Sue better in the coming days. And we're excited about welcoming them—welcoming, welp- can't get that word out this afternoon—welcoming them into the BBC family as they pursue uh, membership here in the in the near future. Additionally, uh, Pastor George has also spoken to uh, several other uh, like-minded churches and pastors in our network. We have given uh, strong affirmations and recommend, recommendations regarding Glenn's character and his reputation in ministry. And I'm grateful for God's provision for us uh, this Sunday afternoon uh, for yet another faithful man of God to preach his word to us. And I'm grateful uh, for the work that the Lord has done in, in the hearts of uh, his people here at BBC uh, to give you a hunger and a thirst for his word. That's one of the things I shared with Glenn the other day, that it's been a joy for me in the past, and I know it is regularly for Pastor George and really everyone who's had the privilege of preaching to you all. There's just an obvious, a hunger and a thirst that you have for the word of God, uh, which makes it a great joy to be able to preach uh, the word in in that context. And uh, so, Brother Glenn, uh, please come and preach the word to us. Please greet our guest speaker.
0: Well, thank you very much for that very kind introduction, and to Pastor George for the invitation to speak. Uh, By the way, I will always be a Tiger fan, and uh, the Orioles were always, when I was growing up, our nemesis. Particularly, I go way back to the Brooks and Frank Robinson days. Some of you would remember Frank Robinson always seemed to hit a home run to let Baltimore beat the Tigers. Uh, They were arch rivals, again, when I was a kid. But good afternoon and thank you for this privilege and this opportunity. It is a distinct privilege to speak at Baltimore Bible Church today. I really don't feel like I deserve this honor. I've sat here and listened to our pastor. Can I say our pastor now? Preach so faithfully the Word of God. And this past Friday, Tom Pennington, I am humbled to have this opportunity to speak today. Sue and I moved to this area, as you just heard, at Christmas time of all times. Uh, We moved, we said our goodbyes to Maranatha Baptist Church, where we had been there for almost 35 years on December 19th. And that was a hard goodbye. Uh, It was a very difficult time. But it was a good time for us to move because all our family was off work and they could help us move (laughs) with a U-Haul trailer and move us into Abington. Shortly after we moved, then we went down to our sons in Washington, D.C., where all of our grandchildren, all of our kids and their spouses were able to get together to celebrate Christmas. My son even arranged it for us to go Christmas caroling on Christmas Eve around the streets of Washington, D.C. to some shut-ins. So it was a great time together. Then Christmas was over. We came back to Abington and we sat there and said, We don't know anyone. We have our family which we're grateful for. We don't even have a church yet. We felt homeless without a country, without a church. And I will admit there were some depressing times going through that transition the last few days of December and early January. The first Sunday we weren't able to go to church because we were sick or had sickness in the family, and so it seemed like an eternity before we got back to church and came here the second Sunday of January. During that time, uh, I will admit that we uh, thought, well, should we look at some other churches? Because we had really vetted this church. As uh, Brother Matt mentioned, we met almost three years ago, the summer of 2019, uh, because I discovered about your church. I've watched a lot of your live stream. And uh, then in 2020 at the Shepherds Conference, Pastor George and I were able to have lunch together to get better acquainted, and then finally we made this move, and, uh, you know, it's like dating. Do you you need to kind of date around to just make sure? I I made that mistake once. I broke up with my wife-to-be when I thought I, I got a little worried and nervous, maybe I should check around and date around a little bit, and then my best friend and roommate started dating her, and I decided I was interested in her again. I almost lost her. And uh, so we looked at a lot of websites, listened to a lot of services in January, and we kept coming back to Baltimore Bible Church. Uh, You know, I would strike a church off the list. You know, I just like the introduction of the sermon. I knew, okay, we're not going there, we're not going here. Uh, You know, philosophical reasons and so forth. And uh, we just kept coming back to Baltimore Bible Church. And uh, we are so grateful that God has led us here. Uh, We feel like we are like minded in so many ways. And the bottom line is uh, when we came to BBC and uh, discovered what God has brought here in this ministry. And you'll understand I'm from the Motor City when I say this, why go for a Chevrolet when you can have a Cadillac? (laughs) And we found a Cadillac here. We love your intentional and passionate worship, though my wife tells me don't clap because you have no rhythm, Glenn. (laughs) So that's the only reason I have no rhythm. If somebody wants to teach me, I, I need some lessons in that. Uh, We've been so blessed by Pastor George's sermons. Uh, We appreciate your doctoral statement, your philosophy of ministry. We feel a real kinship here. And we feel like we're home. Forgive me for the emotion. We can't wait to become members if you'll have us. We start next week. In the meantime, I have a part-time job at Lowe's. I work in the paint department. I think every pastor should work in the secular world. I have not been in the secular world since I was in college. I've heard more swear words in the last three months than almost my entire life. I've spilled more paint than I have in my entire life. One of our jobs is after we mix the paint, uh, we take off the lid and we put a little dab on the top and we dry it. And several Saturdays ago, we were just blasted with customers and there's a long line, I'm rushing and I go and I give the paint to the man and it's pouring on the floor, the paint can uh, that I was supposed to give him. So, you know, I don't know if I'm destined to be a painter or uh, to do paint at Lowe's, but God has given me some gospel opportunities, which I'm thankful for. And uh, I pray every day uh, that I go there. God, help me not spill paint and help me be a good gospel witness. Well, that's our story, but you did not come to hear our story. You came to hear the Word of God. Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. want to speak this afternoon to something that's very near and dear to my heart, and that is the importance of unity in the local church. Now some of the material will be in overlap for those who were here Friday night with uh, Tom Pennington when he looked at unity in Ephesians chapter 4, but we will le- like to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians, and our main text will be verses 10 through 17, But I want to begin in verse 1 for context's sake. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. So that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also conform you, confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you've been called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now our text, beginning in verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, I of Cephas, I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the house of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void let's pray. Our Lord, we ask for your guidance as we look at this text this afternoon. We thank you for your word. It is true. It guides us. And Lord, may we let the truth of the word be planted deep into our heart this afternoon by God the Spirit. And may we make changes as necessary, be more sanctified as a result of this study, we ask that if there's anyone who's not a true believer, that they would come to a saving and knowledge of you today. In Jesus' name, amen. In the opening verses, Paul gives a very brief introduction, and he really does not congratulate the Corinthians for anything other than what God did for them. He was thankful for God's work in their life, and that's the way it is for all of us, what God has done for us. But immediately, he gets to correction and condemnation for their disunity. He then goes on, after the opening chapters about their spiritual maturity, immaturity and disunity, speaks to them about other issues. There's a man who is having an affair with his stepmother. Even the people in the city are appalled at this, and and you're doing nothing about it. In the next chapter, they're taking fellow members to secular courts, suing them. He corrects other issues that are there in the church about Christian liberty, about communion, about the spiritual gifts, that they had to have a right order, and they had to be corrected and taught by the Apostle, even though he had been with them for 18 months. But now in our text, he begins with a concern about the disunity in the church. Christ is concerned about our unity. In fact, the night before he died, when he is in Gethsemane, he's praying for you and I to be unified. Turn to John chapter 17 for a moment and let's look at several of those verses. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. And hear the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 17, verse 20, when he says, I do not ask on their behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me, through their word that they may... All be what? One. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The purpose of unity is so the world will believe us that we're sent by Jesus Christ. Verse 22, The glory which you've given me I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me and that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Wow. While Jesus is sweating drops of blood on his brow, he's praying for you and I today and for Christians of all generations to be unified. I have to say in the two churches that I've had the privilege of ministering to, and they have been a sheer blessing and the fact that they put up with me over those years has been a blessing. But there have been periods when there's been squabbles and some disunity, and, and those times were disheartening times for pastors, for the church family, for the leadership. It could have been much worse, but yet they were disruptive to the church. And at times it caused us to lose focus of what our main mission was in that local church. And now as we are embarking at our membership at BBC, I'm thrilled to see such a great unity, such a great spirit among the congregation here at Baltimore Bible Church. However, the seeds of discord can be quickly and very, very easily sown, as the proverb reminds us in Proverbs ten nineteen. when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Could I add social media to that? When words are few... The message to the church of Corinth is a message for us today. For every generation of churches. There's four points i like to note from this passage. Number one is Paul's appeal for unity in the church. Paul's appeal for unity in the church. Verse 10. So Paul says in verse 10, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, That you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. Paul begins by making an appeal. I exhort you. It's from the Greek word parakaleo, which we also means to come alongside of, to comfort, to encourage. Paul is writing to this church. He had been there 18 months. I'm urging you. Some translations, I beseech you. He's exhorting them what? That you all agree. That word agree literally is that you say the same thing. That you're all on the same page. And it means we are to be at peace. As Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 3, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Two times in verse 10, we have the word same. They were to be of the same mind and same judgment. So again, he is saying you need to be in unity, in agreement with one another. And Christian unity, really is to be the hallmark of Bible-believing churches. The psalmist says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. In similar fashion, Paul prayed in Romans chapter 15, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Jesus Christ and with one accord that with one voice you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." We are to be unified so we can glorify our great God. So we will point people to Him and not to us. So he says to be of the same mind. I believe that means we need to be in agreement in the basic, at least the very basic doctrines of Scripture. And as we attend the membership class, we'll learn more about the practice and doctrine. I've already looked at your doctrinal statement several times. That was part of the vetting process, and I really like what I see. And when we come together, we are in agreement. This is where we stand, this is what we preach, what we teach. Doctrinal statements are important. I was listening to a guy give a sermon from Ephesians 4 on unity, and he says, I don't believe in doctrinal statements, I just believe in the Bible. Well, That's a good way of saying, you know, I I don't want to tell you where I stand on the critical issues of the faith. But when it comes to a doctrinal statement, there are even what we would call the very core doctrines, cardinal doctrines of our faith that are essential to the gospel that one must believe in order to be saved. Paul gives us the essence of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that this is the gospel which I preached to you, which you must believe that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Christ was buried according to the scripture and Christ rose again according to the scripture. And there are other texts like that. Now I know there are passages of scripture that we all wrestle. Okay, what does the Bible mean? And sometimes good Christians can come to different opinions on those uh, because, again, we're human. We don't have divine knowledge. We ask God for wisdom and God the Spirit, and good Christians can disagree. But we're not talking about the gospel, the core things of Scripture. However, in light of that, Ephesians 4 reminds us of the important role of our pastor, of pastor teachers, of their role within the ministry of the local church, In Ephesians chapter 4, it goes on to say, they are there for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith. So we need Pastor George. We need the leaders in our church to guide us, to teach us, so that there will be unity in the faith. Ray Stedman said, to be of the same mind and same judgment does not mean that everybody has to think alike. With all the differences among us, it's impossible to get people to think alike in other areas. You can be Orioles fans, I'll still be a Tiger fan if that's okay, if you'll allow me to join the church as a Tiger fan. Jennifer Lawson the other day didn't know who the Tigers were. My wife had to explain who they were. Back in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says that there be no divisions, literally schisms within the church. But even literally, it means to a tear in a garment, ripping a garment apart, or in a metaphorical case, it's talking about split opinions or splitting over opinions, tearing a church apart. And too often that is happening across America. And too often they're over petty issues. Jeremy Myers writes, people are tired of the numerous divisions that seem to occur with frequency within the church. Some of our divisions involve important issues such as the deity of Christ and he is God. So we must believe that, he says. But he said a lot of divisions seem to occur over whether or not we should have donuts in the foyer and what the color of the carpet should be. We don't have to worry about that. That's up to Valley Presbyterian. (laughs) The story is told, I'm not sure if it's a true story, in a small country church where a pastor called a special meeting and the church was going to vote on a new chandelier for the auditorium. After some back and forth in the meeting, an old farmer got up and said, I'm against it for three reasons. First of all is, we can't afford a chandelier. Number two, nobody knows how to play a chandelier in this church. And number three, what we need is a good new light fixture for this church. (laughs) Too often, when there's conflict in church, when there's conflict in our families, it's because we are not willing to resolve these issues, these conflicts, there are matters that can be resolved. The Bible gives direction about doing that. Matthew chapter 5, if I've sinned against somebody before I go and bring my sacrifice, I go directly to them to resolve it. Matthew chapter 18, somebody sinned against me, I go to them to win my brother. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, are all these remedies, but too often what happens in a marriage, there's a divorce. What happens in a church? There's a division. Nobody's trying to resolve these issues. And a problem often comes in churches. And the solution really to the problem uh, is given by a famous theologian by the name of Irma Bombeck. When she said, by the way, grass is always greener over the septic tank. So just when you get upset with your spouse or with your church, remember the grass is only greener over the septic tank. By the way, Irma Bombeck was a humorist in the 80s and 90s, maybe even the 70s, so a lot of you don't even know who I'm talking about. She was not a theologian either. But the tragedy is we have this idea, well, if I just get rid of this relationship, marriage... uh, Siblings aren't talking to each other anymore, church members aren't talking, and and then the grass is greener over there, I'll, I'll go find another spouse, another sibling, another church, instead of resolving it. Back in our text, Paul commands that they were to be united of the same mind and same judgment. United, in the King James Version, is translated perfectly joined together. Or has the idea of being knit together. This, interestingly, is the same word that is found in Mark chapter 1 verse 19 for mending or restoring fishing nets. Restoring them, fixing them. We are united. We are mending broken relationships, difficulties that occur because they will happen in the home, in the church, in our community. We ought to be reconciling and mending and not tearing apart. We need to be united in Christ. It also is a surgical term for setting bones, for getting those broken bones back together and, again, broken relationships. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and a God of love and peace will be with you. So, point number one was Paul's concern for disunity in the church. Number two is Paul's, con- excuse me, point number one is Paul's appeal for unity in the church. Number two is Paul's concern for disunity in the church, verse 11 and 12. Notice verse 11. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. We don't know who Chloe is or her household, but nonetheless, Paul was given an earful of information he needed to hear, needed to know about a situation, and this was the chief concern of the Apostle Paul. And the text says, there was quarreling among you. There was infighting among the church. The word quarrel... Literally, it's talking about a hot dispute, not just something minor, it is a major dispute that is taking place. This same word is used six other times in list of vices that Paul gives throughout Scripture in Romans chapter 1, chapter 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Galatians chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 4. In Titus chapter 3, it is listed with sexual immorality, with thievery, with drunkenness, with orgies, among the others, divisions, quarrels. You should not be a part of this. What were they quarreling about? Verse 12. No, I mean this that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, I of Cephas, I of Christ. There were four cliques in the church, four groups, four factions, and it was about preference. It wasn't about doctrine because all four were on the same page doctrinally. Two of them wrote epistles in our Bible, but they were divided over personalities. And notice, it's I, I, I. They were arguing over their favorite leader. I am Paul's person. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Christ. These divisions were petty. It was polarized over personalities. It was not necessary, and those kind of divisions can destroy a church. And really the root of selfishness goes back to those four eyes. It is selfishness. Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4 for a moment and look at the first couple verses in James chapter 4, James chapter 4, James writes, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious. And cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And it's, I sound like I'm a really aged person, which I guess I am, but in my experience, and my observation of years of ministry, 99% of the conflict in churches that I've been aware of are petty. It's about selfish pursuits. I didn't get my way. I didn't get the recognition, silly spats that are not necessary, you know, that's not, I'm just saying my opinion, my guess is at 99%, or that there's a perceived offense that took place against me. And, you know, I've learned over the years that when I have a perceived offense, I have to look Here. And most of the time, and maybe 99.9% of the time, when I look here, I find out that perceived offense is my problem and not because I have been offended by somebody else. The problem, my friend, is that too often we are seeking our own kingdom and our own self-righteousness instead of, as Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now it's a problem and I'm still working on me, on that, on the perceived offenses and my own selfish, selfishness that takes place. Because the church of Jesus Christ is made up of those who are sanctified in Christ. Paul talked about that in the opening verses of this chapter. But the reality is we still struggle with our self-centered egos. Now back to the text, there are four divisions. Paul was the first pastor. As we mentioned, he had been there 18 years. And then Apollos followed. According to Acts chapter 18, verse 24, he was well-versed in Scripture. He was an orator. They were different personalities, but some followed Apollos and followed the cult of Apollos instead of following the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Now, there were those who said that Peter... They were followers of Peter. I'm of the Cephas clique, or the Peter group. How did that happen? We have no indication that Peter ever visited Corinth, though maybe he did, or perhaps after there were those converted under his ministry in Jerusalem during the persecution, they fled to parts of Corinth, or perhaps some of the Corinthians were just aware he was a famous apostle and uh, he wrote some scripture. We're not certain but as we mentioned earlier, none of these were heretics. Two of them are apostles. Then there was the fourth group who said, well, I'm of Christ. You know, they were the pious ones, the super spiritual ones that rose above the others. You know, we won't say, oh, we're a Paul or Apollos or Cephas. We're of Christ. And there might have been, I I may be reading between the lines, a little bit of self-righteous smugness, that they were separating from the rest. And it probably ticked off the rest of the people to hear them say that and just added fuel to the fire. But the bottom line is their divisions were over allegiance to their spiritual mentors or even worse to their favorite personality instead of Jesus Christ my friend, it it is a serious matter when we place too much loyalty on a person and not on Jesus Christ. Because what I've seen in my lifetime is that when that person deviates in doctrine, some of them continue to follow that person in their error instead of following Jesus Christ. So let us not argue, I'm of MacArthur, I'm of Piper, I'm of Dever. I like all of them for various reasons. And at BBC, let us not say I'm of Lawson, I'm of Weaver, I'm of Feldy, I'm of whomever it might be. I don't know all of your last names. We're followers of Jesus Christ. So number one, Paul's appeal for unity. Number two, Paul's concern for disunity. Number three, in verses 13 through 16, Paul's rebuke about the disunity in the church. Notice verse 13. Paul's rebuke about the disunity in the church. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanas, Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptize any other. In verse 13, there are three rhetorical questions that all demand the answer of no. Is Christ divided? Absolutely not. Was Paul crucified for you? That's heretical to even think that. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. The body of Christ is not divided and local churches should not be divided. We are one in Christ. And Paul inserts his name there, as we mentioned, was Paul crucified for you? It's really appalling that they had to be asked that kind of question. Then Paul states, I'm glad I only baptized a few of you. In fact, I forgot that I did baptize a few more than I originally thought. Evidently, that had become a badge of honor for some people. It's tragic that he had to say that. It's not that Paul was against baptism or diminishing the importance of believer's baptism. But again, some were identifying as being baptized by Paul that they had a special, maybe they thought they had a special place in heaven, special condensation because they were baptized by the Apostle Paul. And really, it is a result of immaturity. And that's the issue in the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians As Paul is writing, you are acting like children. You're acting immature. And flip over a couple pages in chapter 3 where he addresses that a little more specifically. Chapter 3, verse 1. Referring to some of the same issues that are addressed in chapter 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able. For you are still fleshly, carnal. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, or another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? This word flesh or carnal in verse 1 of this chapter comes from a Greek word that means having the nature of the flesh, controlled by the flesh or even controlled by an animal appetite instead of being controlled by God the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 We're to be controlled by God the Spirit. And the marks of their carnality are listed here. You're acting childish like a bunch of little children you're not acting as spiritual, well grown people. You're full of fits of jealousy and you're allowing strife to overcome you and you're causing divisions as you're behaving in this very fleshly way. The keys to unity we heard on Friday night, and just briefly repeat from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. When we struggle in our flesh and our selfishness, we're reminded in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. That we need to put on humility to be humble and not proud about ourselves. That secondly, we need to practice gentleness with one another. Thirdly, patience with your family members and your church family members and your pastors and your leaders. And lastly, toleration. whereas the King James Version says, forbearance, a forbearing love. I have to tell a tail on my own children. Occasionally they would come home from church on Sunday afternoon and say, you know, so-and-so just bugs me. Or so-and-so is just weird. And we'd sit at the dinner table and I'd say, well, who invented weirdness? Maybe we're the weird ones. And we need to practice tolerance or forbearing love for one another. Paul tells us one of the results of allowing God the Spirit to control our lives, according to Ephesians four 5.18, is in Ephesians 5.21, to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, I need to submit to you as my brothers and sisters in Christ over my wishes. I ought to be like Jesus Christ, washing feet and not have... Wanting my feet to be washed. He was our greatest example of humility, of submission. Can we not do a little bit in that area of submitting to one another? When I was studying for the ministry, I remember distinctly one Sunday night two men coming back. They had been out a ways away from school and they were ministering in a church and they came back and they were shocked. They said, after the evening service, there was a congregational meeting and a fight broke up, broke out. And one woman went over and grabbed a lady's hair and pulled some hair out. They were shocked what they saw. They couldn't believe it. And this is what we're training for? It's shocking what can happen to those who claim they belong to the king. They've lost their sanctification. Number four Paul gives a reminder, Paul's reminder about the true mission of the church in verse 17. The true mission of the church. Paul says, and I'm going to read verses 17 and 18, is to preach the gospel. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those that are, that are being saved, it is the power of God. The bottom line is when we're involved in disunity and wanting our way, division over personalities, we've lost sight of what we're here for. It's all about Christ. It's all about glorifying God. God. It's all about our mission, making the main mission, the main mission, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach Christ. We're here to lead the lost to the Lord Jesus Christ. We come from different backgrounds, different ideas, different opinions about a lot of things that really don't matter. But in the end, what does matter is our faith in Jesus Christ. Back in 2007, when my son was going to Michigan State Law School, and as Brother Matt mentioned, I am a Michigan Wolverine fan, we went to the Michigan-Michigan State game in what's called the Big House in Ann Arbor. There were about 110,000 people squeezed like sardines together, and because it is an in-house rivalry, there was a lot of squawking back and forth between Michigan State fans and Michigan fans, including my son and I. I'm happy to say that Michigan won that game, but in the midst of the rivalry and the arguing that took place in the stands, when there was a pause in the game, the announcer said the Detroit Tigers defeated the New York Yankees to clinch the division title. Everybody rose in unison and started cheering. We were all one again. The common enemy was the Yankees. And we all agreed. Are they an enemy here too? Okay. The common enemy is out there, my friend. We need to be one in Christ, united under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to realize we're battling a real, cruel, wicked enemy, the prince of the power of the air, but our God is more powerful, isn't he? And the day is coming when every knee shall bow, including Satan, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to lift high the cross of Christ and reject our own human agenda. We need to put out the politics and personalities that happen in a church and exalt Jesus Christ. We need to be more gospel-centered and less man-centered. Paul warns us about the serious danger that that can contaminate our church or any church because Christ is the basis of our fellowship. We are, after all, one body in Christ. One man said, when everyone decides to put the things of Christ first and is willing to suffer loss, that the honor and glory of Christ might be advanced, that is when we have harmony in a congregation. For one more passage, turn to the scripture reading text earlier today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'd like to look at several of those verses once again. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. We're reminded, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, In all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit were we all baptized into how many bodies? One body, not two bodies. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and you could add everything else in there that divides people. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Now he goes on to remind us in verse 14, the body is composed of many different members. The body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. In the body of believers, God has composed us into a, a multicolored tapestry woven us together as one in Christ and no one can say, well, you know, I'm just a stinking ear or I'm just a nose. Who wants that? You know, my nose is too big anyway. You know, we can think less of ourselves or demean other people. God has gifted us all in different ways and we're to use our gifts and our talents for the cause of the glory of Jesus Christ. No one is inferior no one superior skipped out of verse 25 in that passage so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another if one member suffers all the members suffer with it if one member is honored all the members rejoice with it because we are one i'm not sitting there thinking oh why did they get praised I'm rejoicing because I'm a part of that person, part of the body of believers because they got commended for what they did, their accomplishment in the community or in the church. And when one member is hurting, we all hurt. Have you ever stubbed your little toe? It hurts up here. (laughs) Why do I feel it up here? And it's just a little toe. We're one body. We're united. I don't think the church of Ukraine is divided right now. Do you? I don't think they're concerned about the color of their carpet or whether they have a chandelier right now. I've heard stories from those who have contact with pastors there. People are getting saved. They're being overwhelmed with opportunities. They're not squabbling. They're concerned about their lives, about the spiritual life of their neighbors. Paul writes in Galatians 3, 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And Again, we have this statement, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the great unifier. He has broken down the barriers, and there have been barriers in the past, but he's broken them down at the cross of Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what? We're going to be in heaven together by the grace of God. We might as well get along here on earth before we get to heaven. Paul exhorts us to be in agreement, to be unified Paul says to cease making petty disagreements the main issue, excuse me, make the main issue the focus of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in close, in case you're here as a visitor, don't blame this church for me. I'm just a guest speaker. There's a lot better preacher here next week. But if you don't know the gospel, don't know Christ, there will be prayer counselors here afterwards to talk with you to pray with you about any need that you might have. But just a synopsis of the gospel. We all are sinners. The Bible makes it very clear all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have the greatest need, and that is a need for salvation that we cannot ever attempt in our own power, in our own merit, in our own religion the Bible makes it clear, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. Too many so-called Christian denominations are trying to do it through self-help, through their own effort. We all must recognize that Jesus Christ came to earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life we could never live, died in our place, paid the penalty for our sin, paid the atonement so that we could be set free if we will repent, as Peter said in one of his sermons, repent and be converted that your sins will be blotted out. And if we will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as the apostle Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Or Jesus made it very clear, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is the Jesus way. It's not my way, your way. In Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We agree on this, don't we, BBC? This is what we hold dear. This is what unifies us. The things that don't unify us don't care about, they don't make any difference. It's insignificant. I am very thankful for Baltimore Bible Church. This has been an oasis for Sue and I. And we're thankful for the unity that we've seen, that we perceive. I hope it is in reality. But it's possible for disunity, the seeds of disunity to be sown at any time. And let me close with a pastor's heart by saying I've seen too much of that Too much of the heartbreak. Where a group of congregants are out in the parking lot, they're not fellowshipping, they're talking about what they don't like about the church and what bothers them. Instead of going to the person, they're just getting more people on their side. That is so disheartening. I know the pain of a shepherd, of a pastor, when people are angry or upset. There's biblical remedies for all of this. Again, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 18, Galatians chapter 6. We need to follow our shepherds. I believe God has given us good shepherds here at BBC. Listen to them and work through these problems because we need to be steadfast in our pursuit of unity for the sake of the gospel. Because again, disunity can come at any time in any church, in this church, and they can turn into a raging fire. In the book of Jude, verses 18 and 19, the Bible says, They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Let's not be like This text says, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, causing divisions. Let's be a part of the solution when there is a problem. May God bless us. May God bless Baltimore Bible Church. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for the reminders in this text and the encouragement that it is to us To pursue unity. To hotly pursue it. To build bridges. To restore broken relationships. To be a problem solver. To focus on Christ and what he said we are baptized into one body. Be passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. May guests... May our neighbors, people in the community, see that's what Baltimore Bible Church is about, passionate about Christ, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes
1: instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.